In this podcast episode, we want to introduce you to our BCEN friend, Ann O'Connor. Come along as Michael Dexter and Holly Briggs talk with Ann about her journey in the specialty of burn nursing, from initial fears to pioneering the future with national certification. This episode is called, When a Passion for Burn Care Ignites Your Whole Career. Hello, and welcome to the BCN and Friends podcast, where we hold interesting conversations about learning with a range of thought leaders, BCN certification holders, and industry professionals. But most importantly, to create value and insight for you, our professional nurses across the emergency spectrum. We hope you find our discussions interesting, informative, sometimes funny, sometimes serious, and always valuable. I'm Holly Briggs, a professional development specialist at BCEN and one of your hosts for today. I'm joined by my co-host, Michael Dexter, Director of Professional Development at BCEN. Hi, Michael. Hey, Holly. It's great to have you with us today. In this episode of BCEN and Friends, we have Ann O'Connor. Ann is bringing the heat as one of BCEN's newly certified CBRNs. Her passion for burn care and ultimately patient's recovery from injury has marked Anne's entire nursing career. Let's catch a spark for burn care. Michael, could you please introduce us to our BCN friend, Anne? Yeah, I would be happy to do that. Anne Marie O'Connor is an advanced practice nurse practitioner at the Burn and Complex Wound Center at the University of Chicago Medicine in Illinois. With over 35 years of nursing within burn care from the bedside to administration and advanced practice, Anne has taken on responsibilities that encompass intensive care, surgical assistant, outpatient wound management, and community health and education. Anne has served on various councils for advanced practice nursing and worked with the American Burn Association on several national committees, including the Burn Nurse Certification Initiative. She is national faculty for advanced burn life support through ABA and has presented at state, national, and international events presenting burn care content and education. Anne, welcome to the BCN and Friends podcast. It's a pleasure to have you with us. Thank you both. It's such a pleasure to be here with you today. Well, we are looking forward to talking with you. I know you have a lot of great and interesting things to go through, but you know, you've been in burn care, I believe your entire nursing career, but could you tell us a little bit about that and you know, what made you transition into a nurse practitioner role and, and doing that um, within burn care? Yeah, I, I'd love to. I think that I remember being in nursing school and being afraid, like most people are, of the burn unit for lots of different reasons, the way that people maybe look or the way that things look in the unit. And um, and I can remember that feeling. And so the first time that I was asked to take care of a burn patient, I was a new grad on the floor and it was a little overwhelming, but I remembered the satisfaction when that patient came back. Our patients happen to be healthy people who are burned. So if you can get them through this really difficult portion of their life, they really have great outcomes and, uh, and always come back to, to say hello. So I think that really sort of drove my passion for burn. So when I was getting ready to leave the floor, as most of us do, because you kind of are, are going to move on, I thought emergency room, burn unit, emergency room, burn unit. It just so happened that my manager was the manager of the burn unit. And she said, hey, could you use you down in the burn unit? And I said, all right, I'll try it for a little while. And I remember the very first time I got report and someone talked about a train wreck and a swan. And I thought someone was injured on a train and there's birds in this unit. I didn't know where I was going with this. I was lost, but I had some of the best preceptors to kind of help me through that process. So I started my career in the burn unit. I 
loved my staff. I loved the people that I worked with because Bird is something you cannot do on your own. You have to work as a multidisciplinary team to be able to get people moving. And we we really work together, um, not only with our nursing staff, but our, our physical therapy staff. And it just really interested me in, in meeting all these different disciplines. So while I was a staff nurse, I kept going on with you know bedside nursing and I really saw things that I thought I could make a change with. And um, then I went into management and thought, mm, boy, was I wrong. <laughs> There's a lot more to it than, than meets the eye. And tried to make some changes, tried to make some good changes and got a little, you know, didn't really, wasn't really feeling the vibe of the management role anymore. So I decided that maybe I would move on. And my collaborator and friend, Dr. Lawrence Gottlieb, who's the director of our Burn Center, said, mm, I think I'm going to find something for you. And he created this really kind of a niche role for me in the burn unit as a clinical nurse associate is what they called it. And really what I found was I was doing the role of an advanced practice nurse without having the degree. And I had to wait for the residents to do everything. And the visionary that Dr. Gottlieb is said, why don't you go back to school? You know, why don't you, why don't you go and do that? And I'm like, all right, I'll do that. So slowly but surely, I uh, went back to school and finished my our advanced practice nurse degree and stayed in the burn unit with Dr. Gottlieb. And he and I have worked together now for about 32 years together, which is why I trained in the operating room and why I have such a sort of, I feel like a very unique role in that I work at the bedside with our staff nurses. I do some education. I work with the residents. I work in the operating room. I have my own clinic with, along with my co APN, Pervy Patel. And, and together we sort of help out with things around the unit with the manager and our new burn program manager. So that's how I kind of evolved into being a advanced practice nurse. What a journey. I think throughout all of the, the parts of you moving forward and progressing, I could hear it in your voice that you just, you have a real passion for burn care. Um, and I think that covers not just the patients, but also your team. I can hear how, you know, there's just, you, you have found a family in the burn unit. And so what is it that gives you that passion for taking care of patients who are just acutely injured? They have significant burn injuries. Like what, what keeps you going? I think the passion comes from, you know, that it's a rough time that these people are going through and you're, sh you're sharing that and having a little bit, a little piece to help them through it. And they come out on the other side. And like I said, when they come back to visit us, or I used to go to a camp for children who survived burn injuries. I was at camp for 25 years. And just the joy of seeing them run past us when they were in the unit and it took two or three of us to get them out of the bed um, or two or three of us to do their dressing changes. I, that gives me such joy in seeing the kids, but then the adults, you know, the adults that go on and say, I'm so excited to be back at work. I mean, who says that? <laughs> who says that? Somebody who goes through something that you know, has made them not be able to go to, to work or that I got to walk my daughter down the aisle or that I got to see my child graduate. And these are, as you guys know, life changing events, not just for the patient, but also for their entire family, their extended family, their work family, and that we're able to kind of be there for that small little portion of their life 
and help them get through it, I think is something that is a passion of mine. So you mentioned like, you know, these kids that are running by you at camp and it took two or three of them to, uh, two or three nurses to get them out of the bed and do their, their care and things. And, you know, it made me think about wound care and wound care is always synonymous with burns. And we talk about airway injuries and we talk about fluids and we talk about wound care. It's all always comes up. And I recently had somebody say that they have a friend that posted online that they had fish scales put on their, their burn. And <laughs> people are talking about how they're growing cells in a laboratory. And there's, so there's a lot of, you know, the good that we do as nurses, but there's a lot of advancements in wound care. There's a lot of advancements in the way that wounds are dressed and things that I'm sure have changed over the years that you've been in the industry. So with in taking care of patients with grafts, and these patients often will, you know, go home, they'll be grafted later, they may end up in an ER somewhere with issues related to sepsis or something. But is there any advice you'd give related to just general burn care of these wounds and, and skin grafting, because it's just so varied, it seems like, and it seems like there's so many different possibilities for so many different types of wounds. Like, where do you even start with it? That's a really good question. And, and it's something hard to teach, but easy to learn. I think you have to see it to be able to get used to what it is. I think one of the biggest advancements that I've seen in my career is early excision and grafting, as you mentioned, the skin grafting. Getting all of the tissue off that's bad and is going to cause that sepsis. When I first started, we didn't do that right away. We do that right away now. We have a 50% burn. That burn is going to be excised by the end of the week. That would not have happened when I, when I first started my career. So I think that in caring for the, the burn patient, I think mo- like, like a lot of different disciplines, we're seeing the complications of all of the great work that we're doing, that these patients have this survival rate. And I think the the biggest thing with with skin grafting, if you have a patient who comes in with a skin graft and it's been years since they had it, you treat it like any other kind of skin, except it may not sweat like your regular skin will sweat. It may be drier than your regular skin, and then it'll, it'll crack, could get infected. So the care of those wounds after the fact or the care of those skin grafts after the fact is important, keeping them moisturized, understanding. I mean, we had a a child at burn camp who had essentially a hundred percent burn. He survived this, this big burn. And it was one of the earlier years that we did burn camp, just like everything else, everything evolves. We didn't have any air conditionings in the cabin. We didn't have anything. We didn't know, or we didn't understand that he was going to be out in the heat and wasn't going to be able to sweat like the rest of us. So what did we come up with? He was always close to a hose, or he had a spray can that had the fan on it to be able to cool him down. Those are the, some of the things that are different in a patient who survived burn injuries. Also in the first five years, they have a really high metabolism and metabolic rate. And so you'll see these patients sometimes come in with heart rates really high and it may be related to the injury that they had a few years earlier. So a lot of times these pa- patients are on propranolol for a period of time. So those are the things that you need to know about a burn patient when they come in with a heart attack, diabetes, kidney disease. All of those p- patients get burned. So as a burn nurse, you really have to sort of be in tune with pediatric patients, adult patients, the elderly patients who have had NMI, patients who are on dialysis. Imagine trying to resuscitate a patient with a big burn 
who's on dialysis. The best way for us to tell how we are giving enough fluid to this patient is their urine output. The patient's not going to give it to you, so you have to find other signs. So different ways to treat patients, but always kind of coming back to the fact that the skin is the largest organ in our body. It protects us from out the outside world. It's our sensory contact. But the number one thing that I always tell people, it's what everyone sees of us. That's what your skin is. And so you might walk around with a cold sore or a little pimple. That's going to go away. That's not going to go away for, for our patients. And so those are some of the things that the skin will do for you. But the biggest thing is, is it's what everybody sees of you. So for the dialysis patient that is burned, is that why you keep that bird in the unit? That swan you were talking about earlier? That is why we keep the bird. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. Yes, it might be why we keep the bird in the unit, but that's so right. That's outdated. I'm sure those of you who've been doing bird nursing for a long time are like, mm, haven't seen a swan in a while unless you work in a cardiac unit. So yeah, for us, we don't really use it anymore because we found better ways to be able to resuscitate our patients. Yeah. Well, I mentioned, you know, like using different forms of skin grown in labs, and there's obviously a lot of advancements in wound care and you, you work in surgical areas as well, as well as outpatient clinics and things, but just overall, you know, we've seen fluid change from four mils to two mils to 500, 250, 125. There's been so many changes. What would you say has been like the greatest of them all? And this is probably a very hard question, but what would you say, say has been one of the greatest forward advancements in burn care that you've, that you've witnessed, whether it's related to skin care, whether it's related to the initial resuscitation or even something in the post-resuscitative or psychosocial aspects of care? So I, I think I could hit something in every single aspect. I think I, I've already touched on, I think excision and grafting early has made an enormous difference in our patients and in our patient outcomes and in our mortality and actually morbidity. I think working with our colleagues in therapy to prevent long-term contractures or long-term problems. Um, we, we see this now in the acute phase. I think that has been a fantastic advancement. I think that, you know, all the fancy things that come and go, the, the spray skins or the, the fish scales, like you mentioned, and things like this, I think are, are good for the moment, but I think long-term just Getting rid of the bad stuff and putting on some good stuff is where what's going to get your patient to heal. And that's one of the things Dr. Gottlieb always says, taking out, we're taking off the bad stuff, we're putting on some good stuff. And the good stuff might be the patient's own skin. It might be a synthetic material that we're using. We have a product and I, uh, that we use that has a silver base to it and has some silicone on it. And the silicone on the wound can actually help heal that wound as well. I think in fluid resuscitation, I think you hit on that where it's kind of changed, where people were always going to do two to four. That was sort of the consensus formula. The Parkland was four cc's. And I think the way we've changed is because we know now that there's so many complications with over-resuscitation and under-resuscitation, so that we want to try to hit a sweet spot. And I think that people have seen throughout the years that the sweet spot for adults is two cc's, for pediatric patients is three, and we really reserve that four for any electrical injury, right? Because that electrical injury is going to produce the myoglobin and it's going to cause some kidney failure. So you really want to flush those, those kidneys out. So that's why we hold the four cc's for that. So I think that has been a big advancement. You hit on the 5, 250, 125. 
I think the reason that's so important, particularly for people who work in the pre-hospital setting and in emergency rooms is we would see so many complications because what did everyone do when they got a big burn? Crank that fluid up and just give it to them. Keep giving it to them. They can't get enough. And we've seen a lot of the complications that come from that. And so I think that 500, 250, and 125 in the pre-hospital and emergency setting has made a huge difference in our patients. And I think as far as wound care, just really keeping wounds clean, keeping them infection-free is really the the key to, to them healing well. So a wound that you have that may not be a really deep injury that you're going to need a skin graft, if you can keep that wound clean and keep it free of infection, it'll heal. The scar may not be as bad, but where you see the scarring may be from an infection, a little infection that the patient has received. So I think really just basics of wound care. Keep the wound clean, keep it covered. We all know moist wound healing now is better than what what do they used to say, air it out or let it dry. We don't want to do that anymore. We, we know to keep those wounds moist now. So I think just really simple, basic wound care needs is what is going to, is, is probably the best thing that I've seen for wound care. Well, thank you for all of that advice. And I Hope those who are listening have some takeaways for the areas that they are working in where they get a chance to, you know, have a, have a point of care for burn patients. So thank you for all of that. You are a member of the exam construction review committee for the practice exam of the newly launched CBRN. So the certified burn registered nurse, what kind of motivated you to get involved in that, to volunteer your time towards the project and to helping get this certification and some resources for those who are hoping to sit and pass and be successful? What kind of started you on that journey? I think that I am probably one of the world's worst test takers. And so when um, we would always have like the people would talk about CCRN or, you know, all the EA hyphen C and all of these different TCRNs and ECRNs and PEN, you know, all of these things, I'd be like, oh my God, I'd be terrified to be doing it. But I thought if it was burn, I would probably do pretty good. I think that my biggest motivator has been my mentors um, in helping me along with this. I've had mentors in burn. One of my dear friends, Debbie Potempa, Pat Gwizdalski, both of them preceptors of mine when I started in the burn unit are still just mentors of mine. Um, Gretchen Carruthers, who is one of the people that was involved with this as well. Always, I loved her vision and I loved her confidence in me in being able to do this. The same thing again with my mentors, my friend Kathy Supple and I, years ago used to talk about, wouldn't it be great if we had an exam for, for burn nurses? And, and this has probably been 20, 25 years in the making. And so I remember Gretchen talking about it. I remember people kind of mulling around about it and talking about um, what it is that you need to be a burn nurse and the scopes and standards. I, I helped with those as well with Gretchen's guidance and And then I can remember really vividly being on the balcony in Las Vegas and Janie coming out and saying that we were going to do this. And I was like, I pick me like I want I want to be involved in this. I mean, we've been talking about this for years. And when I got selected, I was I was so excited. And then 
exceedingly honored to, to be chosen as the, you know, in that smaller group to, to kind of look through things and have the opportunity to work with, with everyone at BCEN and, and that whole thing. And just the friends that I've made and the people that I've had the opportunity to work with. And honestly, the things that I've learned from everybody. The one thing about burn nursing, there is no cookie cutter. There is no cookie cutter in, in burn care. And everyone does things differently. But if, at the end of the day, if you look at it, people have mostly the same outcomes. And so it was interesting for me to learn from other people the way that they do things a little bit different than we do them, but again, have that same outcome. So I think that for me, it was a no brainer to volunteer for this. And to have the opportunity to have people be so excited about it. I'm sure people know, and I don't know if they do, that the day that we started the beta testing, we crashed the website (laughs) because people were so excited, so excited about the exam. And I have a small unit. We have eight beds in my unit. I think we have, I could be wrong, 26 nurses. We now have eight certified burn nurses. Cheers to us and my nurses. It's been an absolute pleasure to work on this project. Well, it's been a lot of fun working with you. And one of the things that we like to ask everybody is, uh, or everybody on the podcast, I should say, is (laughs) about a person or a moment that really impacted them as an individual. And, you know, you've been talking about working on the CBRN exam and all of the work that's gone in and the change. You've mentioned mentors. You've mentioned Dr. Gottlieb. You even mentioned the person that was in the train wreck with the bird. No matter if it's a patient situation or coworker or what, is there any particular time in your nursing career that that really impacted you and, and maybe even changed the trajectory of what you were doing? I might need a minute for this one. That's fine. I can't, re- I can't remember. Um, there's so many. And so I'm just trying to think what, yeah, I. there's been so many. Do I have to pick one? <laughs> you don't have to pick one. You know, several is fine. <laughs> well, I'm going to give you several and you are you can pick whichever ones you would like. I think, first of all, just working with the team that I worked with as my preceptors, as I mentioned, Debbie Potempa, Pat Kostalski, Lynn Golich, Mary Jo Myers, all of these people helped sort of shape me in my my early career and helped me to to see that this was just such a rewarding career. So patient scenarios that we had were just being together and and really working as a team to be able to get these people better and them just showing me all the the tricks of the trade and everything that I could do and and should do to to better the patient, that there was always something that could be done. We had our downtime, but that you didn't need to, to, there wasn't time to be sitting around because there was always something that could be done for patients. Um, I think... As I started to evolve in my career, Debbie Potempa and Cindy St. Aubin were two of the women who said to me, you should go back to school. And I'm like, mm, no, I, I, school wasn't it. No, I don't really want to go back. And they said, you can do this. I'm like, I don't know if I can. You can do this. And they actually helped me along as I, as I went along and completed my degree. I think Dr. Gottlieb has been a huge influence on me in that just the support that he's always shown and the passion that he has for what he does and just the confidence that he's always had in my ability to see patients, be able to diagnose patients and, and bring it to fruition has always been an inspiration to me to be able to say, yeah, I think you can do this. 
I think more recently, I've had just the opportunity to work with some really fantastic nurses in our unit, new nurses who just still who have this passion. And it's so fun to watch them grow and, and be interested in burns. One person in particular who stands out to me is a nurse who was a burn survivor, was one of my campers, and who I now have the opportunity to work with. And it is unbelievable and rewarding. And she, I see her blossoming and I'm hoping that I'm one of the people that's helping her along in her career. Um, And I think from a patient perspective, I've had so many that have gotten better and come back and just say thank you and to, to the whole team, not just to me, but to our whole team and allow them to, again, just live their lives, see their families, be with their families, do their jobs and be good citizens of you know our communities. Um, and I think that we've had the ability to be able to do that in our care, the care of, that we've provided to these patients. And one more thing that motivates me is my family, my sister, Mary, my brother, Brian, my brother, Michael, my dad, my mom, and my new, all of my nieces and nephews, but my new great niece, Harper Kathleen, I think those are my, I hope that wasn't too many, but I know I have so many more that I could tell you. I don't think you have enough time because it's been an interesting career, a rewarding career. And I've met so many incredible people along the way, including the both of you. Stop it. You'll make us blush. Um, <laughs> good thing that we only do the audio for our podcast. Um. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> oh, well, thank you, Anne. And, you know, You've not only just taken a job and made it something more than a career, you've made it your profession, you've made it a calling, you've made it something that is truly a part of who you are. And I think sometimes people don't realize that as much as you give out in that, you get that back. Like it does come back to you. Now it may not come back right as you're pouring your heart and soul into something, but over the course of time, I have seen that the more that I give into a profession that I love, it, it, it comes back, it comes back. And so, and you know, sometimes it's patients, sometimes it's team members, people you get to work with. Sometimes it's people across the, across the country and you get a chance to work with them and meet them. And all of a sudden you feel your tank get full back up and you can go back out there and do great things. So we appreciate you. Thank you for sharing all of that. It was always inspiring. That that question always inspires me. I do have a few rapid fire questions to ask you, which is always fun. I know. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. If you were not in your current role, so like outside of health career, if you could pick any job to do, what would you do? Hairdresser. I love it. Hairdresser. I loved to do my mom's hair. She loved to get her hair done. It was one of the things I loved to do. And I'll tell you right now, right now, when we have patients who've been in bed for months and then we get them and we get them moving, my favorite thing is to wash their hair. And one of our physical therapists, Jess Fortin, is like fantastic with skincare and she does a little spa thing and we do this for our patients and they make, it makes them feel so much better. But my thing is always the hair. Mm. And you know what? When I have taken care of family members in the hospital, one of the things that I like that I know to put on the the list of things, if we can do it, if I can get their hair washed and combed and it doesn't even have to be like the fanciest thing, but if you can do that, there is just, 
it makes patients feel just a little piece of themselves is back. So I love, I love that that's your passion. (laughs) And I love that you get to kind of integrate that into what you do. So I'm sure it makes a huge difference for your patients. I really do. Okay. We have some favorites. Here we go. Favorite book. And it can be of all time or just one that you're reading right now. I am reading um, Kiss Cut right now. I love murder mysteries and I love that sometimes I can't figure them out. Those are my favorite books. Mm, I love that. The author, Karen Slaughter, she's one of my favorites, honestly. One of my faves. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> I I like a good murder mystery. There is like a fine line to me between like gore, like I'm not mm-hmm. a gore person. Like I'm not going to read mm-hmm. like these gory kind of like almost sadistic ones. I'm not going to read that. But a good murder mystery, especially Just... like you said, when I can't figure it out, or they surprise me at the end. And I'm like, what? How did I miss that? I, I didn't it. see that coming. I didn't see that coming. Yes. My know, favorite, that's the my best favorite. authors. They give yep. me a little bit, but not too much. Okay. So mm-hmm. favorite movie or TV show again, can be something you're watching now, or it can be something that you could watch any day. Um, one of my favorite movies of all time is when Harry met Sally. It's a good movie. Classic, classic. classic. Uh, another one of my favorites, the other woman, another one. Don't ever let that one go by. And hello, my name is Anne. I am addicted to bad TV. Any one of the Real Housewives I'll watch. Oh, no. Oh, no. Yes. Mindless TV. That's what I'm into. Can't be thinking all the time. No, I know. And like sometimes my husband will like, he'll be like, what are you watching? And I'm like, honestly, I can't even really tell you what I'm, I don't know the point of this whole show, but I haven't thought about anything for an hour. So they're doing something right. Um, right. That is awesome. Great recommendations. All right. (laughs) Favorite musical artist. Again, it can be all time or just one that you're finding really interesting right now. I love all types of music. This year alone, I have been to see Bruce Springsteen, REO Speedwagon, John Mellencamp, Duran Duran. I'm going to see Queen and Adam Lambert on Monday. But of all times, my favorite singer would have to be my Uncle Tommy. He was in a band for years. They toured Ireland and England. And by far, he was my favorite singer. That is like, that is some staunch comparisons you have laid mm-hmm. out there. So <laughs> Uncle Tommy must, he he's, I, I mean, honestly, great. now I'm like, I'm ready to find tickets to your uncle's show <laughs> because if you're seeing all these people and you're like, he's still the best. I've, I've got to, I've got to put them on a bucket list. All right, here we go. This can always be a divisive question. Comfort food or a meal you really enjoy? Cause I've got lots of feelings. I've got lots of feelings. Meatloaf, mashed potatoes, and corn. Favorite meal of all time. I mean, is it anyone, like, is it a certain person making this meal or is it just like in general, if they're serving that, I will eat it. it, Well, and I'm going to throw in my aunt's apple pie. She makes the best apple pie. My auntie Mary's apple pie. I think it would have to be my mom's mashed potatoes, maybe her meatloaf, but really anybody's meatloaf, I would say. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Comfort food. I will eat it with you. I'll eat it with you. Yeah. All right. Other hobbies or self-care, something that you do that just helps to kind of reset, get you back to where you are. I work out every day. It is what keeps me sane. 
working out every day. I leave work, put on my workout clothes, go up to the gym. And my gym happens to be on the top floor of my building, which happens to overlook Lake Michigan. So it is a good place to work out. Mm, Yeah. And I think Mm. the fact that you prioritize that every day, I think a lot of times when I, when I ask people about like self-care, it almost sometimes is sporadic. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, oh, maybe I'll do this sometimes, or, you know, maybe I'll get the, but I think those people who prioritize either on a daily basis or, you know, like every week, like I'm going to do this and I am going to take care of myself. I think those are the people that when it's not just hit or miss, when it's actually Mm. an intentional prioritization of self, I think that's really where the difference comes from. So thank you for sharing. So if our audience would like to follow you online, what social media platforms are you on or where could they find you to follow you at? Not on many social media platforms, but they could find me at the University of Chicago website and um, there's a link for the burn center mm-hmm. and all, all about burn care there and, and what we do at the University of Chicago. Amazing. And I will have that website listed on our podcast blog for this episode. So thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. Well, Anne, it's been really good talking with you. I know we've got to spend a lot of time with you in person, virtually via Zoom. A lot of work that people probably don't realize has gone into making this whole CBRN certification. And you've been a huge part of that. So thank you again for all of that. But really nice to talk about things burn related, but not have our heads down going through (laughs) creating the certification, but to spend some time with you you know, just talking about your career and your life and the things that motivate you. So thank you for sharing your time with us. We appreciate it. And I want to take this time to thank you for joining us for this episode of BCN and Friends. Thank you, Anne, for sharing your personal experiences, your expertise, and your passion with us. Your hard work and support of the burn care specialty are making an impact. And looking into 2024, make plans to meet Anne and Michael and myself at BCN Learn Live in Chicago, Illinois. It's going to be May 5th through the 7th of 2024. You can check out bcn.org backslash learn live for more details to get registered. And to all of our listeners, we hope you will stay tuned as we continue with BCN and friends and bring you new meaningful content and perspectives. If you have a suggestion for an episode, please email us at bcn at bcn.org. I'm Holly Briggs here with Michael Dexter and on behalf of the entire BCN team, we thank and celebrate you for all that you're doing as professional nurses across the emergency spectrum. Until next time, we are out.